0: Thank you for downloading or watching our sermon series titled Redeemed in Christ. We're going through the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is written in 1563 using a question and answer format. The Catechism's goal is to instruct the Lord's people to understand the Reformed faith by answering common questions from the scripture. Please join us as we walk through this historic document and ponder the Lord's grace and mercy as we are reminded that we are redeemed in Christ. When we consider the the temple, we think of a building, which again, it's not something that's necessarily wrong. I mean, we think of Solomon's temple. We think of the post-exile temple. uh, We think of Herod's temple. And so clearly the, the temple is something that's a very significant building for Israel. And as we're going through Hebrews, or as we're almost finished with Hebrews, hearing again that reminder that, that we don't have such a tangible religion. We might feel as if we're, we're missing out because we don't have a temple. But one of the things we, we need to remember is that this isn't a New Testament uh, reality. David himself, as he desires to build a temple for the Lord... And that's one of the things he wanted to do within his kingship uh, to make sure that the Lord had a beautiful house. The Lord uh, sends a prophet to David. And what does the prophet say to David? Well, the prophet reveals the word of the Lord in 2 Samuel 7 uh, that David is not to build a house for the Lord. Uh, The Lord was content to dwell in the midst of his people as they wandered the wilderness. He doesn't need a cedar building. In fact, the Lord promises and binds himself to build David's household. And so the Lord's going to build his legacy, if you will, not only for David, but for his people. And so when we hear this, we, we might also think, in terms of our Christian life then, where is the temple? Because clearly we, we see the church building as something that's uh, useful, something that's beneficial. It's, it's a blessing to be able to have a consistent place to meet And utilize, but we don't elevate a church building to the status of a temple. And so why is it important then in terms of the temple language used in scripture, why is that so important for us to understand our Christian life and what it means as as we live out our life unto Christ? Because for the Apostle Paul, it's very important. And so as we consider this, we'll see uh, basically taking the Catechism question answers that we avoid unchastity and we live in chastity. And so first, the avoiding of unchastity in dealing with the the temple. We're reminded of what we are not to do in the catechism as we look at 108. We're to avoid anything that's unchaste and we are to detest anything uh, that's unchaste with our whole heart. Uh, So right there, we can have the summary of what this means Uh, But we may not really understand what that means in living our life. Well, the Catechism tells us how to live this out. We live decent and chaste lives. Uh, We do this within the confines of marriage. And generally, we hear this exhortation to live exclusively to the Lord. So when we say, okay, well, so we're not to be unchaste and we're called to be chaste, uh, what does this really mean? Well, it is somewhat significant when you turn to even a secular source like Merriam-Webster that there's an understanding of what this means. And I think even the dictionary has some helpful things. The quality of being chaste, according to Merriam-Webster. The avoidance of any unlawful sexual intercourse. A purity in conduct and intention. Restraint in simplicity in design or expression. Generally... We can say, as Merriam-Webster, or summarizing Merriam-Webster, conducting oneself with personal integrity. In other words, as we carry ourselves at all times, we're desiring to carry ourselves with an integrity uh, about us, that our yes is yes, or no is no, as Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we can set, then, general guidelines as to how we live. Uh, We understand who we are. We're those who are set apart in Christ. We have been redeemed, as the Apostle Paul reminds us at the end of this, that, that we're not our own. We're, we're redeemed unto Christ. Uh, we're called to live unto uh, his name and to bring glory to his 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 name uh, as his redeemed. It's understanding that it's not just something spiritually. You know, so often we can think of the the Christian life being something where it's just a personal thing, where, where I wanna put. Uh, sin to death. And that's certainly part of it. I'm not denying that that's an important thing. But it's important to understand how our actions flow out of our thoughts and and out of our understanding. I think this is something that Hebrews really drives home using Old Testament language of exhortation of, you know, like we talked about this morning of remembering. Uh, It's not just calling to mind some intellectual things. But but really taking the time to, to think about God and his goodness. Uh, that's sort of what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. You know, we can reflect not only on where our lives are not in line with the Lord, but also to think through, you know, where, where has God been gracious? You know, there's certain events in life that could have gone really bad. God was gracious. It didn't go so bad. Uh, certain dealings, kind of naive, didn't really know what could happen. Lord worked it out. The Lord's the one who once again showed his mercy. So it's kind of remembering and and reflecting on these things, not only in terms of the Old Testament saints and the promises of God, but also throughout our lives. Saying, wow, God really did uh, show his providential care uh, throughout my life as I sojourn under the sun. And so that's this reminder of what it means in redemption. God's been faithful to his promise. God... Uh, has upheld what he has said he would do. He is a shield and defender. So reflecting and meditating upon those sorts of things. Well, the Apostle Paul, as he reminds us in terms of our Christian life, he states something very significant in terms of Christian ethics. He tells the Corinthian church and us through this letter by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. He says, all things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then he talks about food and the body. So you look at verses 12 uh, through 20, you you might say, what is the Apostle Paul saying? All things are lawful? Does that mean there's no Christian ethic? Does that mean I, I can do whatever I want because all things are lawful for me? Well, the Apostle Paul is driving home the reality that we have freedom in Christ, And we are free to live out our Christian life. But we have to think about what is helpful. What is beneficial. What is God glorifying. Right. When he says all things are lawful for me. In other words the Apostle Paul is speaking of this in terms of Christian liberty. In the confines of what God has revealed in his law. We we can live within that. All things are lawful. But the concern is in our Christian liberty as we've talked about before in terms of discerning what's pleasing unto the Lord from Ephesians 5, we can be dominated by things, right? These, these can be good things, uh, honorable things, good things that God has created, but, but they can become such idols in our lives that we live our lives in such a way that, that we want to fuel this and feed this and give in to these urges, um, whatever they are. And again, they may not necessarily be explicitly sinful. And so the Apostle Paul here is sort of nudging us And saying, here's the reality of who we are. Here are the struggles we can have. We we need to to be aware of this and understand what's going on. Now, in terms of the Corinthian church, because he moves right from this in verses uh, 12 or verse 12, he goes on to verse 13, all of a sudden talking about food. You know, verse 14 talks about the Lord raising us. And then he talks about our bodies and then he talks about sexual immorality. And you kind of look at this and you say, what is the Apostle Paul doing here? Well, as the Apostle Paul's using this language, he's inviting the Corinthian church to understand something deeper. Now, some speculate, and it's pretty likely because we can find in this letter uh, that there are reports coming to Paul uh, that maybe different people have written him. You know, he's heard reports of uh, divisions in this church in 2nd Corinthians it seems there's correspondence going on where, where we don't have those letters and by the providence of God it seems there's no reason for us to have those letters but the apostle Paul as, as he writes this it seems this is something that the Corinthian church is saying as it's in quotes and, and so as he's citing this and saying this and, and it's the ESV taking the Greek implications of the text and putting it in quotes And so as it's understanding the text, it's most likely these are some of the things that people in the Corinthian church are saying. Hey, all things are lawful for me. And the Apostle Paul is saying, yeah, that's true, but not all things are helpful. Somebody might say, all things are lawful for me. And Paul says, yeah, and I won't be dominated by them even if these things are good and honorable things before the Lord. And so when when we hear this, we're, we're understanding there's something more significant going on uh, when when we hear this, that there's something more than just a Pharisaical concern. Uh, One of the things we know about this letter uh, is that we know that when we look at 1 Corinthians 15, there seems to be some sort of a pre-Gnostic influence. And and what that means is simply uh, there's teachers coming into the church that seem to be saying the body or the flesh has no significance. Uh, And so it it seems that that there's one group probably going towards that philosophy or leaning towards that philosophy. We look at 1 Corinthians 15. When we look at 1 Corinthians 6, uh, many speculate this is probably some form of a Stoic philosophy. Uh, We can find writings where Stoic philosophers say there's there's a freedom in the thinker. Uh, So if I'm a, a true, free, philosophical thinker, I'm I'm free to have my ideas, and as I'm free to have my ideas, I'm free to experiment within those ideas. And, and so it seems that these Stoic individuals who are writing to Paul are saying, "Hey, I'm I'm a deep thinker, Paul. Uh, these things are all lawful for me. I'm not out of line. I'm one who can think about these deep things. I'm one who's uh, very well read, very well schooled. And this is where it's." Kind of interesting when the Apostle Paul goes through his resume and for, for the Galatians where, hey, I basically went to an Ivy League school. Um, I'm a guy that's pretty well trained, and what does the Lord do? He gives him Peter to mentor him. And that when I go to heaven, I really want to ask how that went. Uh, because you think of Peter and Paul, and you read their writings, and you talk about two different personalities. Paul a scholar, and you read his writings. I mean, this is well thought out stuff. Peter, you get a sense, he goes back to his room, he's tired, he's talking to his secretary, and it's not as well thought out as what Paul writes. So you wonder, well, what is Paul thinking? You're going to make me be mentored by this guy? Uh, But you see, again, the Lord has a sense of humor. But again, you also marvel in the providence of God. If there's anyone who's equipped to deal with these discussions, it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, He's most likely been well-trained in Stoic philosophy. And so the Apostle Paul is going to go to this church and say, oh, you think you've read things I'm not aware of, that that you're wiser than me? And so when the Apostle Paul quotes this, he's saying, okay, I'm aware of this teaching. I've read it. I know your thinkers. I know where you're coming from. But nevertheless, let's put this in terms of Christian ethics. Is it really helpful to just say I can do anything I want? Is that really good? Is it really good to be dominated by anything? Because again, if Paul knows and he most likely knows Stoic philosophy and if that's what we're dealing with, which is very likely, one of the things about being the free thinker is you're not dominated by anything. Because for Stoic philosophy, you may not be able to control your circumstances, but you can control your reaction to the circumstances. So there's a great pride in the ability of being able to have dominance over self being able to control oneself at all times. And so this is sort of where the Apostle Paul's nudging them and saying, really, how consistent are you as Stoic thinkers then? Because you're clearly dominated by things that are not consistent with a Christian life. So are you really even being consistent with this system when you ask me these questions? And so now when, when we look at this and we sort of get that backdrop, a commentator has a very helpful way of laying this out in terms of the Corinthians struggling with God's plan. And so basically summarizing his summary, uh, we put it this way, where they say all things are lawful. Paul says not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but I will not be dominated. It goes on, food for the stomach. And the apostle Paul says, yes, and the body is meant for the Lord. And so as they may say, and you might have some of the Gnostic thinkers in this saying, well, it's just the body, who cares? And the Apostle Paul is saying, but the body is also for the Lord. He goes on, stomach for the food. So most likely um, the adversaries. And Paul says, and the Lord is for the body. So he's saying we can't make this distinction, body and soul. Soul's important, body's insignificant. And then he says God will destroy And Paul says, God raised. Or or the agitators or the cynics, whatever you want to call them, God will destroy. Paul says, God raised. And then it says, both one for the other, uh, terms of the cynics. And Paul says, and the Lord uh, will raise us by his power. And so Paul is basically dealing with people that say, the body doesn't matter. It's what we think, how we act, that's really what matters. And so, in other words, if I'm a free thinker, I can rationalize anything I want to do. And as I rationalize anything I want to do, well, then then God might be a great option, but God has to fit in my plan. And Paul is saying, basically, you have it completely backwards. That's not how it happens. We have been set apart in Christ, in the power of Christ, to live out the gospel purely for him. And that's what Paul wants them to understand. And so the the call is for us to really love wisdom, but not wisdom as a Corinthian church loves it. What Paul wants us to do is to love the Lord's wisdom. Uh, St. Augustine speaks of how love is something that if we truly love God, we, we really need no other exhortation. Now, he's not laying out some sort of antinomianism. What he's saying is that if we really love God, we're, we're going to meditate on what it means to be lovers of God. What does it mean to live for God? What does it mean to die for self? That's what he's getting at. It's not just, why well, I can live any way I want because I love God. No. If you really love God, what does it mean to live exclusively for Him? And that's what Paul is essentially getting at. So now dealing more with, Paul's, with what Paul's saying when he says, I will not be dominated uh, while these things may be beneficial. Why does Paul say that? Well, Paul has said in other places, for instance, in Romans 6, verse 15 through 23, he speaks of us being slaves of righteousness, which he's also uh, alluding to in verse 20, the same sort of theology, uh, that if I'm captured and purchased by Christ... I'm not free to live for myself. I'm called to live for Christ. He is my master. He is my Lord. He is my Redeemer. And and this this becomes rather difficult to bring over in our culture. And what I tried to bring out this morning in terms of Christ being consistent. Slave owner. He might be a gracious, benevolent slave owner. You may have a a great time being his slave. Honestly, it, it may be a pretty good life. But when he dies and you're a property of the estate, you don't know who the next owner is. You don't know what your fate is. And as a slave, you have no rights. That's what the Apostle Paul's driving home to the Corinthians. We we can't just read some sort of a philosophy and say, well, I'm a free thinker. I can live any way I want. Uh, Israel had their thing. I've got my thing. And I'm going to kind of dabble with this God thing. The Apostle Paul is saying that that's not an option. We're called to understand we are servants of Christ. We have been redeemed. And so when he speaks about the body being the body for the Lord, he wants us to understand it's not just that God purchases our soul. That's what we can think. Well, it's just my soul that's redeemed and being refined. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, speaks of this being jars of clay, right? That the glory of God is placed in a fragile jar of clay. And so, as the Apostle Paul affirming the reality, yeah, this, this body, we're going to experience the breakdown of the common curse. Uh, we're going to experience the aging process. We're going to experience the, the pain of it. That's, that's true. We're going to experience that. But at the same time, this is where it becomes really profound. That the Lord has, has redeemed our bodies. That we're going to be glorified. And it's certainly pointing to that promise. But right now, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. This means the full glory that filled the temple building. Where if the priest was not properly prepared, he would be struck dead. Because he was coming into the presence of God without properly preparing himself. That same glory, because of what Christ has done, dwells within us. And so the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthian church to say, whether you're embracing some sort of a pre-Gnostic philosophy and, and you think you're intellectually astute, and you're saying, what I do in the body is inconsequential, it doesn't matter, because it's the soul that needs to be really purified. Or if you're some sort of a stoic thinker thinking, well, you know... I'm a free thinker, I'm free in my philosophy, I can do what I want. The Apostle Paul says, but you can't, because you have been redeemed in Christ. His spirit dwells within you. You are temples of the Holy Spirit, and you live your lives before his face as his redeemed slaves. And again, it's not slavery and tyranny. It's slavery in that we are set free to live unto the Lord. And so moving on then, living in chastity, uh, 109, uh, in terms of the answers of the catechism. that Paul wants us to understand this temple of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, that, that we've touched on. I mean, what, what a remarkable thing. When, when you think about the preparation of the temple, and, and you read of this, of how there's all the sacrifices that are done, when the glory of God goes and fills the temple. Uh, You know, Pentecost, picking up on that language and thinking about Pentecost with the Spirit being poured out into us. Uh, The fire of God filling us, which is something that, when you put that in the context of the Old Testament, how how fire could consume. You think of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That's, That's a picture for us, how it consumes the sinners. The fire falls from heaven and just... All the destruction that takes place. But you see the, the beauty of what God is doing in his redemption. That that same fire that brings judgment and destruction. Is the same fire that comes upon his people. And we are empowered. We, we walk and live in the power of his spirit. And so it's, it's that reminder as we are temples of the Holy Spirit. As the catechism's calling this to our attention. It's saying this is something else we we add to our Christian meditation, if you will. What does it mean? I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only in terms of what I'm to put off and what I'm to put on. I mean, certainly that's part of it. But also just thinking and and marveling at at what it means that God would dwell in the midst of, of such a broken, struggling people who experience the... The, the common curse, I mean, we're not even talking about the actual sins we commit. I'm just talking about being in a body that's going to return to dust. In the moment we're born, we, we begin to experience that. But yet God doesn't kick us to the curb. So, might, so what's the point of going on if I'm just dust? It's because the Lord is redeemed. The Lord's had work in us. He hasn't left us for dead. And so that's what the Apostle Paul in the Catechism wants us to understand. We have been redeemed. The Lord has not turned his back on us. So what are we to do then? How how are we to live this out? Well, the catechism goes through this and reminds us of different things about what it means to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as it summarizes the word of God, it says our looks. So this is actually where we cast our eyes, where we allow our minds to go. Uh, Anything that would distract us uh from christ and the purity of what he has called us uh to be and in, in terms of who we are as humans our talk or sinus in his text, speaks of stupid talk uh i just kind of crack up when i read some of the old uh, reformers and how they are so blunt you know just stupid talk you go "Ooh, that's kind of harsh uh, but basically it's talk that's contrary to our christian calling uh Talked that, as we talked about last time, belittling, uh, always cutting down, uh, those sorts of things. Thoughts. So these are, are thoughts that are contrary to the Lord's will. So it's calling to our attention. This isn't just in actual actions. Uh, but this is actually in our, our thoughts, where, where we let our mind dwell, where we let our mind go. Uh, I've mentioned um, when we talked about Christian liberty and idolatry, uh, I think one of the helpful things Tim Keller says, and again, I'm not a Tim Kellerite, But one of the helpful things he says about idolatry is is where we daydream, basically those are the things that can pull us away from Christ. It's not saying those things are necessarily in and of themselves sinful, but he's saying we we need to be aware of how these things can distract us from Christ. That's the intention of the thought. What's what's pulling us? Where where are we allowing our minds to go? What what are we dwelling on? That's what the catechism is inviting us to think about and desires. Um, This again is that reminder. We can have desires that are are wholesome. We can have desires that are not wholesome. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding us, or the Catechism is reminding us, our desires are to be in line with our purpose and who we are as temples of the Holy Spirit. Um, As we also notice, it says, or what might incite uh, someone to them, Uh, quoting from the Catechism. So this is, Once again, that reminder of of what are we trying to do? Uh, It's not only in terms of where we allow our own minds to go, but but what are we trying to do in terms of distracting someone from their Christian walk and and trying to get their minds to go in places it shouldn't go and and to uh, employ ideas and, and sinful thoughts that we may cultivate in and of ourselves. And are we doing things to cultivate these desires? That's what the catechism is getting at. And so in in terms of our redemption, getting back to the temples of the Holy Spirit with the Apostle Paul, when we say, what about this nature of our bodies being members of Christ? Then when we go on in Corinth, we notice that there is a big problem going on here in verse 15. And the Apostle Paul isn't so upset about the philosophy. And again, if if we're honest, the, the philosophy is being used to justify the action, right? It's trying to give some intellectual credibility to it. Like, oh, it's, it's not so bad. I'm, I'm a deep thinker. I'm allowed to participate in these things. And we say, oh, well, what things? What, what's going on? Well, we find in verse 15 where he says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Now, when we hear this, the apostle Paul is cutting straight to the point, and I, I very much appreciate his bluntness, because so you can have these individuals in Corinth that can say, well, you know, it's not just a prostitute. It's, it's a temple prostitute. So it's, it's not as unwholesome as it sounds. I mean, it's, it's, it's an act of worship. And the apostle Paul is looking at him and saying, don't give me that. It's not an act of worship. Let's be honest with what you're doing here. That's not honest worship. It's wrong, it's sinful, and it's immoral. And so when the Apostle Paul calls this to their attention, he's saying, this, this has to stop. We, we, we can't say this is okay uh, and just try and give some intellectual credibility to it. Now, notice where the Apostle Paul goes. Because some might say, well, the Apostle Paul is just a prude. He's, he's against any of, of these sorts of sexual unions, and he's saying it's all wrong. The Apostle Paul is saying, well, that's not the case. Because he goes right to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are created and they consummate their marriage. And the Lord says it's good. And so what we learn is that within the confines of marriage between a husband and wife, this is completely appropriate. It's fine. and It's blessed by God. Outside the confines of marriage, it is not blessed by God. It is not good. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And the Apostle Paul drives it home. Because somebody could say, well, that's just the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, he just really loves Genesis. And the Apostle Paul is saying, okay, here's the implications from Genesis 2. The implications of what God is doing there. But what about the reality of us being joined to the Lord? Which is what I've built my theology on. If we're joined to Christ, how do we live unto Christ? We are one spirit in Christ Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you can't just be dismissive of my theology and say, well, he's an Old Testament rabbi. No, the reality is we're joined to Christ. We understand the Old Testament temple theology. This is who we are as the Lord's people. We're called to live a life of purity unto him for his honor and glory. The Apostle Paul then goes on, gives a very explicit command, flee from sexual immorality. Now when he says this command in verse 18, it's pretty likely and and quite probable uh, that the Apostle Paul is calling attention to Joseph, fleeing in in the midst of his temptation, and then being wrongfully accused. Uh, So the Apostle Paul, when he's saying this, we can say, well, what's the big deal? It's just something you're doing in the flesh. It's in the body. The flesh is inconsequential. The Apostle Paul is saying, no, it's not something that's inconsequential. You need to flee from this. And why? Well, he lays out something that's rather puzzling. And it was puzzling to me when he says every other sin is outside the body. And you start thinking, but if you literally steal, you're using your body, right? Um, If you literally do a lot of things in terms that's immoral. You, you worship falsely, you bow down, you're, you're actually using your body, right? You're bowing to a false idol in a very real way. But what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand, and, and I'd argue that this is a case in looking at commentators, the Apostle Paul is inviting us to ask a question, how are we engineered? What did God want us to do? What does it mean to live in the body? It's a rather profound thing. That when we're sinning against our own body, it's not something that we are dismissive because we we have to very much physically be vulnerable in order to to engage in this immorality that Paul's speaking of, to try and keep it clean from the pulpit. And so as the Apostle Paul says this, he's saying, listen, you're consciously doing something against the body that God did not design for you to do. And so this is something when, when we think about being redeemed, verse 20. And we think about being slaves of righteousness. This is what we need to understand in terms of our Christian life in living within the confines of God's law. God doesn't give us those requirements because he wants to hurt us. He's not giving us those requirements because he wants to deprive us of good things. Ideally, as God's redeemed saints, we would want to live these out because we understand obeying his law is good for us. I'm not getting into health and wealth gospel. I'm not saying you're necessarily going to be blessed and, you know, have your hundredfold blessing. I'm saying in terms of the Christian life and how God has has designed us. And and somebody may say, well, why would we obey the law of God? We'd say because God's our creator. He knows what's good for us. He, He knows what actually gives us a happy and fulfilling life. Uh, And so as we seek to live for him and please him, we actually have a fulfilling life. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, when you sin against your body, there's consequences for that. It's it's not something that, that you can say, oh, well, it's just the flesh. Paul's saying you will have consequences. You will not have a fulfilling relationship and a fulfilling life in living this out. And so it's not the Apostle Paul just trying to be the wet blanket or the rain on the parade. It's the Apostle Paul reminding us of the privilege. It's a privilege to die to self and to live for Christ. I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying we're going to do it perfectly. But what I'm saying is that as we strive to live out of gratitude for the honor and glory of our God, we experience the greater blessings of being a temple people. We experience the greater blessings of our redemption in Christ. This is where verse 20 now becomes so profound because it's that reminder of people who cast God off, of people who are uh, struggling in sin, those who, when, when we hear the Apostle Paul, we've talked about this before in the conversion stop kicking against the goads, right? So, as Calvinists, we very much believe our, our wills are, are alive and active. The problem is our wills aren't naturally tuned into God. And so the Apostle Paul is saying we need to to change who we are. and, And for the better. But not just change just for the sake of change. It's a consciousness. Your God wanted you. Think about that. Your God wanted you. He went to the slave auction and he picked you out. And he didn't just purchase you. In terms of of silver and gold, he actually laid down his life so you can be a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the glory of God can dwell within you. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, don't think for a moment that this is something flippant. Don't think for a moment that God is not deliberate in this redemption. It was thought about, it was calculated. It was done with precision, and it was carried out in absolute perfection, so we can have life in him. So now, when we hear these exhortations from the Apostle Paul, it's not just, don't have fun, Uh, don't enjoy life, Uh, just be miserable. The Apostle Paul is saying, actually, you want to enjoy life? Live for the glory of your Savior. You want to enjoy life? Draw near to your Lord. That's how you find life. You want to find comfort? Understand that your Lord drew near to you. Your Lord's redeemed you. You have your doubts. You feel unworthy. Well, how did you get redeemed? Because Christ came and purchased you and redeemed you. And so when we ask that question, then why is it so significant to understand that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because the Apostle Paul is reminding us, even as broken, fallen human beings, unworthy of God's redemption, unworthy of God's affection. And it's not because there's a problem with God. It's because we told God to to go away. We said, we we want our course. We, We want our sin. And you can read the Old Testament. You can find that doesn't work out so well for people. But yet, by the grace of God, As he comes to us, as he redeems us, as he makes us alive. We know that because of the merits of Christ, we have a blessing of being indwelt by his spirit in such a way that the full glory that filled the temple fills us. This is what orients us. This is what empowers us. And the call then is that as we die to self and conform to the Lord, we actually enjoy the blessings of Christ more. As we are sanctified and he peels away the layers of who we are, we enjoy who the Lord is more. And so we shouldn't read the law of God or, or his exhortations that he gives to us. as just the Lord trying to, to squelch our fun or just to put us down. But to read it and understanding the Lord is saying, this is how I've engineered you. Within the confines of these requirements, this is where you'll have a good life. You want to know when you're going to have your hardship? When you go outside these requirements of what I lay out for you. That's when your life's going to get really hard. But here's the fundamental promise that the Lord gives. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Lord is the one who has made us his temples. Let us then live in the confidence as his redeemed saints. Let us not test the boundaries of God's grace but let us find the joy of living within the confines of what he lays out for us as we live as living sacrifices who have been purchased and redeemed by Christ himself. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archived sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com or subscribe to our current sermon series through Most Common Podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.